we should make up some fake names. Why? Just in case we have to communicate while we're inside. Oh, okay. I want to be Kyle. I knew this guy at camp. His name was Kyle. He was maybe 13. He got two girls pregnant, man. Two girls pregnant. Yeah, Kyle. Who are you going to be? Steve. Steve. Yeah. Okay, Steve. Okay, Kyle. Welcome back to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. I know we said the next episode on our last episode was going to be uh, a day to remember and Chunk, no Captain Chunk, kind of starting our step into the easy core world a little bit. That is coming up. Uh, But in the meantime, we kind of shifted things a little bit. We got an interview for you today. Uh, Aaron interviewed Rob, used to play bass in a little band called Autopilot Off. For myself, the first time that I experienced Autopilot Off was when they were on tour with Slick Shoes. However, by that time, at that time, I should say, they were going by the name Cooter, which they'll talk about that, the name change from Cooter to Autopilot Off, amongst other things like uh, let's talk about playing in Japan, touring over in Japan, stuff like that, opening for bands like The Offspring, Avril Lavigne, touring with some pretty surprising artists as well. Uh, and the difference between playing a club show, playing for 10,000 people, that kind of stuff. Um, before we get into the interview, Aaron interviewing Rob from Autopilot Off, social media. We change things up a little bit. Go follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Growing Punk Pod. Obviously, if you already follow us, we change the Instagram handle. You don't need to do anything, but uh, I've been saying it for so long now. I'm going to change it, and I finally did. So Twitter and Instagram at Growing Punk Pod. Go find us. You can find our personal uh, links there as well. Anyway, we're going to get into this interview, Aaron and Rob from Autopilot Off, but it's right after this. a favor and go listen to their last full length make a sound it's one of the best punk albums you've maybe never heard and i say that because i always felt like your band was super underrated and didn't get the attention that you deserved um, maybe that's, maybe that's just my observation we'll get we'll get into that in a bit here um, but to start what's the memory or life experience you had that made you want to pursue music well you know, first and foremost thank thanks for having me Aaron this is definitely a yeah, cool thing to pleasure. do and and thanks for the kind words, of, uh, you know, with the band being underrated and whatnot, you know, that's that's uh, not the first time that any of us have heard that before. Um, but uh, yeah, like first, you know, I got into music, I guess, like anybody does fairly young through like their parents music. And um, I had a great uncle who played guitar 
and spent a lot of time at his house. And um, when I was like probably really young, you know, probably like nine or ten, started like he would show me a little bit of stuff, uh, like you know how to hold it and just the real basics of it. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, once I was maybe like about twelve or so, I like really got interested in it and would always ask him about it. And he wound up giving it to me and it was a really old silver tone guitar from like probably like the early 50s but it was an electric with this little little amp and uh and i actually still have the guitar to this day i was just gonna ask you which is pretty crazy yeah um and um i just you know from there started just kind of figuring it out with like just playing along to records and you know the best that i could and i I barely even knew, like, you know, how to play chords or even, like, something as simple as power chords. But uh, from there, it was just I knew a bunch of people that played guitar and people that played drums, and nobody really played bass. And I was kind of playing one note at a time on the guitar anyway, so that's kind of where, like, becoming a bass player came into the picture. Yeah. And was there – so – you got kind of playing music and at what point like did you see a live band or was there a certain record or something that just sparked you know something in you that made you think that you could do that beyond you know just playing in your living room yeah i think like probably the first stuff like you know beyond like my parents music beyond like you know oldies classic rock that sort of stuff that that i was exposed to was like I guess what was like bordering on like kind of alternative stuff like in the eighties. But then I had a, a a good friend that grew up across the street from me that, uh, and, and a couple other kids in the neighborhood that were a little bit older and they were starting to get into, uh, into bands and like punk bands. So the thing that really exposed me from the get go was descendants. the descendants all record and the enjoy record yeah. i remember having like a, a tape with those on both sides of it and uh that was probably you know the the spark that showed like you know at that time this is you know way predates youtube and and all that being able to like really see you know what bands were doing you know because this is like i'd say probably around like uh 87 88 like I was probably 12 or 13 at the time. And, um, yeah, that, you know, just seeing some of their live albums where there's pictures on the cover of them playing and, and, you know, it just sort of spawned from there of like getting into other bands, you know, other getting exposed to other punk bands through like, I was super into BMX and snowboarding and, kind of on on the fringe of skateboarding with all that i was always terrible at skateboarding but 
but like all the videos and stuff with that it was like that was where we were getting our music from you know my group right. of friends that we grew up with yeah and that's a pretty common i mean it was the same for me with you know skateboard and snowboarding and, and I, that's what i like about one of the things i like about punk music is it, it kind of came with a whole culture it wasn't just you know going to a rock concert and kind of that's that yeah place, you know all those other things that went with it so if you were skateboarding or snowboarding you know it was just kind of a part of it whether you were you know had it playing in headphones or playing at yeah. a skate park or you know hearing you know um you know bands on those or on compilations or seeing you know i remember seeing uh like reviews or ads in thrasher magazine and you know that was, was just gonna bring that up yeah thrasher was definitely a big one like even though i wasn't very good at skateboarding i always followed it and like stayed up on it and got magazines and a lot of my friends skated and yeah like thrasher seeing like they always had a music section in it and you know and it like sort of in my memory of just like seeing like black flag live pictures or like the minutemen and descendants like stuff like that where it was like you could just tell it was like they're just playing in like a small little bar yeah. versus like you know at that point, you know, probably the only concert I had seen was the Beach Boys, like at a state fair in New York. So that, you know, was a very different sort of thing. You know, it was very attainable. Yeah. Did you guys ever get your music in, in any skate or snowboard videos or anything like that? Yeah, we, we did. I wish I could tell you exactly which ones, but we definitely had not necessarily any really big ones, but um, it did get used in a lot of different action sports stuff like you know, in the the later years of doing the band. Yeah, that's awesome. How about in Thrasher magazine? No, I don't think every anything was ever in there okay. because by that point, like, kind of the eh, I loosely say that we were a pop punk band, but we kind of fell into that. You know, we were kind of in that world, and at that time, like, that wasn't necessarily considered the coolest type of music in skateboarding. You know? Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. For some. Uh... So kind of moving you know, back into uh, the band, uh, lots might not know that you didn't start with the name Autopilot Off. So why don't you take us through kind of what you guys were called before and just what were the, the starting years of, of the band and what did that look like? Sure. Um, the band was originally called Cooter, which is a pretty horrible band name. Um, um, I, I am not an original member of the band. So they started the band in 95. Oh, okay. Um, and they had a few different bass players along the way, uh, including Chris Johnson, who was a singer of the band. I, I want to say he may have been playing bass right out of the gate and wasn't even the singer. There was another guy, Eric, that was in the band that um, that sang. I think they both kind of sang at that point, you know, in the very early, like, a demo that I, I don't think I've ever even heard it before. And um, so probably I met them in, I'd say, like late 96, early 97, uh, playing in a band um, from where I grew up, a band called 607 that, that I played in. Um, and we lived about a couple hours, about two and a half hours away from, from where the guys from Cooter were from. And, and it was just that you know, circuit of playing like VFW halls and, uh, you know, just DIY shows that I wound up meeting those guys through. I, we were on a, a compilation together and um, I wound up meeting them and I just really, really hit it off, particularly with Chris Hughes. I mean, I met all the guys, but Chris 
Chris Hughes, a guitar player, and I just really like clicked and and he was like the business guy of the band as I was in our band and we just, you know, we're back and forth like, you know, trying to get on shows and just exchanging info with like, oh, this guy books shows at this city in PA and and um, you know, here's a spot like in Connecticut or New Jersey or something like that. And uh we just you know, they were they were you know, moving along pretty good. And, um, they had done a, like a little bit of touring, just like, a going down the East coast and back, like from New York to Florida and back, um, just super DIY stuff. Yeah. And, uh, they were, the band I had been playing in had, had, um, we played a last show and, uh, this was in say like spring of 98 and um and though and those guys uh cooter at the time played uh had played the show in our hometown binghamton where i grew up and um we uh just chris had mentioned he's like oh you know both of us would love the band face to face You know, at the at the time, like so, those guys grew up just about an hour north of New York City, and um, he was like, "Oh, you know, they're you know, face to face is coming through New York, like in a couple months." He's like, "You know, you should come down. We'll go to the show." And I was like, "Yeah, you know." And I wound up going down and just you know stayed with him, and and we went, and it was just like the first time we had hung out, you know, outside of that little bit you get to hang out at your own shows, and. Uh, we just became really close and and you know at that time I was kind of over playing music it was just kind of like at that time i was really pursuing doing graphic design and i was working at a screen printing shop and kind of had my own thing doing merch for bands on the side and, and um he uh was just like oh you know if you guys are, you know if you ever want to come out and just like you know kind of roadie with us and just to you know to hang out really yeah. and uh i, I wound up doing that for like maybe a month with them you know just weekend shows they were doing and um it became kind of clear they just weren't vibing with their current bass player and you know towards the end of that summer they you know they had asked me you know that had mentioned that they were talking about kicking him out of the band and um you know asked if i would want to join the band and it was like yeah you know just i'd gotten to know them well over that summer and uh and um you know i kind of lucked out because they had already lined up like the first big tour they were doing was going out with mxpx that fall yeah and 
And uh, that was the first tour that I did with them. You know, we did a bunch of here and there shows leading up to it, but that, that was the first time that I had, that any of us had ever done anything big like that. Yeah. You know, we were playing, playing to like, you know, I guess 500 to like 800 person places. If not, a couple of them were a little bit bigger. Oh, that's crazy. So how would have a tour of like that come about? Had you guys, you know, made enough of a name for yourself that, that MXPX would have chosen to bring you out or what was the connection there? Well, I think it was where it started was maybe like a year prior to me joining the band, MXPX had played just a, a small DIY show in uh, in Newburgh, New York, which was, you know, a couple of towns away from where uh, these guys grew up. And um, just Chris Hughes being the networking guy of the band, he just, he and, uh, and Mike and Tom from MXPX just, you know, really hit it off. And he just stayed in touch with Mike and, you know, it was kind of that sort of cliche story of Mike said, Oh, you know, we'll bring you guys on tour someday. Yeah. And they actually did, you know, so that was, it was pretty wild. And, and, you know, so we were, it was a package of three bands and, um, we did like, I would say it was like about a week and a half of it or so. They were kind of changing out who the, the first of three was on oh, okay. it. What was um, the other band on there? Well, the first little bit of it, Homegrown, was, oh, was the support band, band it's another for one a couple. And um, yeah, I've been trying to track those guys down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I might be able to help you with that because there, there's a guy that's uh, doing a, a, a punk rock documentary like about the scene in the early uh 2000s late 90s and oh, i, I so i've seen that he's do been doing some stuff with one of the guys from homegrown with that so um yeah i'll have to 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 hook you up with that oh that sounds awesome is that something that you guys would be a part of as well or no yeah we are we actually are yeah okay so uh awesome. I love that. yeah so that's gonna be pretty wild yeah i'll i'll send you a link to like the the trailer for that 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 uh that they're working on um but for so homegrown was on a couple um a couple dates in the beginning and then the rest of it was the get up kids who were like their record four minute mile had just come out yeah. at that time couldn't have been a, a better situation like mxpx slowly going the way of the buffalo had just come out and that get up kids first record so it was just you know like couldn't have been a more perfect situation for us to come to walk into yeah did you guys feel prepared as a band to, to do a tour like that did you feel you kind of had your stuff together or did you just kind of go yeah i mean i think best? we i maybe a little bit of both but i mean we always took the band very seriously and it was like I, I kind of like 
at risk of sounding cocky, like I tried to kind of instill this like sort of professionalism of like, you know, all the bands we were playing with, it was like they were more on the goofy side as far as like lyrically and, you know, kind of the way they presented themselves. And I kind of like, you know, saw in it that like, you know, Chris Johnson, the singer, his songwriting was like just a little more serious. Like it, it had that ability, like his interests in music were a little way away from the like goofier stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I just like kind of got us, it was like, I was sort of the, 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 the missing thing for them. And they were the missing thing for me mm. of everybody that was like, like-minded and wanted to like, you know, have fun, but be professional in doing it. So I think we were as prepared as we could have been, but like the weirdest thing was the first show was, was in Worcester, Massachusetts, and it was probably over a thousand people. And it's, it's like one of the few shows I ever remember playing where there was a curtain in front of the stage and they lifted the curtain up when the band was about to start. So you didn't, you weren't just walking out and like gradually seeing everybody up there. It was just like, you know, the hit of the hi hats and the curtains going up, and you're playing. And yeah, that's awesome. So that was pretty crazy. You know, we played you know a ton of really big shows thereafter, but I really never remember like the curtain going up scenario happening. Yeah, was the point of like when when you joined the band, like had you made the decision like we're going to pursue this band full time? We want to be on the road. Um, like, like you said, the, the tour with MXPX just kind of came up, but was that kind of a part of the plan or what, what did that look like? Yeah, they, they were like pursuing that plan, like in that mindset, uh, when I joined the band, like they were already, you know, trying to do stuff. They were always opening for, for bands at the local venue that had touring bands coming through. So like Chris was always networking and like really trying to get the band out there. And, um, you know, sending stuff to record labels and really, you know, trying to get quote unquote signed and, um, which back then was such a big deal, you know, to, to have something like that. And, um, so yeah, at that point, I mean, I, I don't ever particularly remember us like it being a spoken conversation, but it was just kind of this underlying, yeah, this is what we're doing. Everybody was um, I want to say, I know Chris Hughes and I were both like done with college at that point. And I, I want to say the, Chris Johnson and Phil were still like taking some classes and everybody was just working, but like had jobs that were flexible enough that we could like come and go and, you know, right. do, do long weekends and, and do a tour here and there. But like that MXPX thing just sort of like started the momentum because now it was like this thing on our resume that we could, you know, say that we just did. And, um, you know, we sold quite a few records on the road doing that. Mm. So that kind of put us, put us out there, you know, into the next stuff. Yeah. What, what record would have that been? All we had out was an EP that was called all bets off. Now I stand aside and bite my nails 
which I didn't play on that, but it was that was the only thing they had at that time. And then, uh, you know, it wasn't until like probably about a year later until the Looking Up record came out. Oh, okay. And when did the, when that split with Slick Shoes? Was that after that album? Yeah, that was after that. So that was probably like late 99, early 2000. Okay. Yeah, probably two, 2000, I'd say, is when that came out, the split with Slick Shoes. Okay, I was trying to find it. Uh, it's not on streaming services, so some of those older ones are a bit more I know. hard. I think I might have it on like an old iPod or something. But Yeah, and it's crazy because it was like one of the first probably 15 or 20 releases on Fuel by Ramen Records, and it's kind of surprising it's not on the streaming for how big that label got yeah. know, over the years after that. Yeah, how did but, that how did that split come about and getting released on that label? We had had a really good rapport with um, Vinny, the drummer from Less Than Jake. Oh yeah, right. And he's the one who started that label with another guy, John Janik. They had started it together, and um, I, I don't remember the specifics of it, other than somehow we got connected with Slick Shoes. I don't remember how, you know, being them being a West Coast band and us being an East Coast band, but um, we uh, got connected with those guys and we did some touring with them in the summer of 99. We did a couple weeks together on the East Coast and just super hit it off with those guys. And then it was just, I think we were talking about doing an EP with Fuel by Ramen and then the, the split idea came about because slick shoes was a more known band than us at the time okay um and um you know they were kind of in between album cycles so it made sense for them to do something like that so um that's that's you know kind of how that came to be um with that split ep Hmm. any chance you have any copies of those I don't know. I definitely have a copy of it, but I can't say that I have more than one. Yeah, but yeah, no, that's cool. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's got to be out there somewhere. I'm sure because there's <laughs> there's two versions. There's one version that says Cooter on it, and there's another version that says Autopilot off. Okay, so that was so, kind of when uh, the new name change happened, and yeah, so the, the name change came about in 2001. So we were kind of gaining steam as Cooter and getting out there on tours, and we had put out that Looking Up record. band with a very similar name to Cooter um, from a different part of the country had um, sent us a, a cease and desist through their attorney um, of you know saying that basically you know that they were going to sue us if we didn't if we continued to use the name and thought they were owed things and 
you know, that, that kind of story. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we always hated the name, you know, as the band grew, it, it became, you know, they went from a band they started in high school to a band that became a little more serious. And we still had this name that was just kind of a joke of the guy from the Dukes of Hazard, okay. uh, the, the character from that show. And, um, and we all just kind of were like, why don't we just change our name? Yeah. You know, we were far enough along that that was a possibility, but not so far along that it was going to be like a crazy thing to do. Right. And it was without a doubt, like the best thing we ever did because all of a sudden it was, we could pick a name that we liked that we felt like fit the vibe of the van, the band. And like, you know, it just kind of was current at the time. There was no connection to anything else you know the internet was a thing at that point so you know we were, we were able to kind of research like does anybody have a name similar to this right. and um, um so yeah we ch we changed the name um we were about we had we were on scheduled to go out with um newfound glory glass jaw and the movie life mm, um and and cooter so we went out at on that as autopilot off with just like a you know a big banner that said cooter is now known as autopilot off and you know just all new merch and um you know the records we had still said cooter on them at that right. time and but then you know like the next pressing of of that looking up album came out with you know the same graphics but autopilot off on it yeah well i would say you got yourself lucky that that it worked out like that i've yeah. heard of lots of bands that like, you know, saying they, they start in high school with some name and then they get, you know, I don't know if you know the band, uh, The Devil Wears Prada. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's lots, mostly like kind of metal bands that, you know, they think this name is funny or whatever. Exactly. And then they get lots of success and it's like, well, we can't change it now. Everybody knows us because of our name. Exactly. Yeah, like, totally. I can't imagine what that'd be like to be, you know, I mean, they're still going. That's been, you know, 10, 15 years to to hate yeah. your band name like it just seems like <laughs> such a a weird thing I but i guess we just kind of have to accept it and take it for what it is yeah and we were lucky there was like we had enough momentum that like to some people it was just like oh my god who's this band i've never heard of but they're like you know are on this bigger tours and you know just like that they're they're doing stuff where we had, you know, we were able to kind of erase that name, but still keep all that experience that we gained the, the few years leading up to it. Yeah. You know, I remember the first time I heard of you guys, it was when you were on that tour with Slick Shoes. I didn't actually come and, and see you guys play. I don't I can't remember why. I had two friends that came. So I grew up in a small town, Dauphin, Manitoba. You guys are playing in Brandon, Manitoba, if anybody okay. out there. I don't know if you would have remembered that place or not, but... It's one of the worst places in this country to play. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fully remember that tour, and we played a lot of little places across Canada on that one. Yeah. So that would have been like, we toured in 99 with Slick Shoes out here in the U.S., the East Coast. Then we did that split, and we're like, let's go out that following summer to, to promote it. So we, um, yeah, that was a tour we did. We did like a eight weeks with, Slick Shoes, Us, and um, a band called Jersey that oh, was yeah. from, Ont from Ontario.
They had just put out a record on Fuel by Ramen, so that was kind of like, you know, part of like the whole package was kind of based around that label, and it was a lot of fun. You know, it was it was a, a small tour, but like there was some really good turnouts. A lot of places we went. Yeah, was that your first Canadian tour? Yes, it was. Yeah, that was the first time. In fact, I want to say that might have been. Yeah, even like. I don't even think we had played like Toronto or, or Montreal out here okay. at that point. You know, I think like the first was, you know, being out there like in, yeah, I don't know what the first, I probably like, uh, like Saskatoon was probably the first time we played in Canada. If I had to guess, like yeah. just thinking about routing and stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. Still remember some of those names. How how was yeah. that? You know, being in tour in Canada. I've you know kind of been on the other side. I, I played in a, a touring band as well. I remember that first first time going into the states and it just feeling like just a whole other world. Even though it's you know, yeah, it's just a border. It's not even a really a visible I know, border, it, but there's just totally there's something different about it. I had been like having grown up in upstate New York. I had been to Canada like quite a bit like as a kid like to um kingston and stuff or you know no it, yeah maybe once like as like a teenager but i had been to a place we'd vacation my parents have we're always into boating and we'd always vacation in this place called the thousand islands oh, yeah. which isn't borders on the saint lawrence river in between new york and ontario and we would always go into Kingston, Ontario was a, a place I remember going to a bunch. But even that, just being across a river, it was so, so different, you know, the, just the, the feel of it. But then coming out to, like, the western parts of Canada and, you know, like, the, the, the prairie parts and everything, it was just like, you know, it's very similar geographically to here, but there's just something about it that there's, like, this slightly, I, I don't... Uh, I don't know. It's something that's just slightly different about it. But we, it, I could tell you the shows were always great for us there. You know, we were, we were lucky enough to, you know, that Slick Shoes tour being the first time we went over there. But we, I want to say we did the full, you know, like Montreal to Vancouver stretch, like probably four different times oh, wow. throughout the course of the band yeah that's a long stretch to do it's and it's you know for those that don't maybe know canadian geography as much there there's not a whole lot of ways to get from one end of the country to the next whereas in the states you know you can just it's just you know it's shaped differently and yeah and, uh, whereas canada you kind of just have to go from one end to the other and you know, we've got mountains in there and lots of lakes and and there's not, it's not also like the States has a lot more, I mean, it's, it's a lot more populated. There's a lot more bigger cities. There's right. some parts in Canada. I mean, you need to drive eight hours in between shows. It's not yeah. like, you know, three, four hours to the next city. Totally. Yeah. So are you still in Manitoba? Uh, I'm in Saskatchewan now. Oh, okay. In Regina. Gotcha. Which yeah, we've Saskatchewan. played there a, a couple times. Yeah. So that was actually the first time I saw you guys play. I can't remember what year that would have been. Maybe... Uh, I moved here in 2003. Um, okay. Yeah, so that was 
on uh, tour with Poison the Well and AFI. leads into my next um, thing about you guys is, you know, even just with this list of bands you sent, what was it about your band that made you, you know, kind of so versatile to, to play on so many different kinds of tours? And I know that was, a, you know, a bigger thing back then to, to have it more varied. Um, I mean, that was, that was an amazing lineup. I missed tours like that. Right. But was that like, was that a pretty common occurrence then to, you know, be on yeah, a I mean, band or a... Yeah, we, I mean, I, we didn't do a ton with heavier bands, but I think it was just like, we were a little edgier sonically than like the average pop punk sort of band. Like, I wouldn't say it was heavier or harder or anything, but there was just a little, a little, uh, just edgier, I guess is the best, best way I could put it, you know, um, you know. I know for me, like I, I grew up listening to like both, you know, the Southern California punk rock stuff, the Fat Record stuff, as well as like New York hardcore bands right. and like yeah, that makes sense. straight edge bands and and you know heavier stuff like that. So, and, and I think we all had like a very musical taste, but um, I think it was just a combination of. Um, just the sound of our band combined with people wanting to do more like varied lineups for, for tour packages back then Yeah, that really did it, you know, and it was, um, that was definitely a cool one. And, you know, I, I definitely, uh, our, we worked with, um, a sound guy named Mike Bukowski that worked for us for, for a couple years that um, we met through. He was doing sound for H2O, but his main gig was AFI. Okay. And that's really the connection. That's how we got on that tour was through him. Just, um, you know, we going through the Bay Area a couple times, met some of those guys, had done some warp Tour dates together where we were in the mix with them and, and uh you know, and on top of it, it was at that point we had a major label record out and, you know, we were, we were a, you know, uh, viable like band to have on a bigger package like that. Yeah. Was that, was that tour overall pretty good? Like I remember like thinking like man, yeah. these bands are all huge right now. And yeah, it, that was really good, you know, cause we were all super fans of AFI. So that in and of itself um was awesome we had done a show with them i'm just like popped into my head now when we first met them was back in i guess it was in 99 i put on a show in in, in the town where i grew up um with them and a band a hardcore band called ensign oh, and yeah. 
we were still Cooter at the time and we played in another local band. And, um, so that was like the first time our paths had crossed, um, you know, which is probably about four or five years before that tour. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was primarily Canadian dates on that tour. Okay. From what I remember, like I, I remember doing like Portland and Seattle, but I think the majority of it that we did was just like the the Western Canada run of it. Yeah, hmm. well, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm just looking at. Uh, so you sent me a list of some of these bands that you guys have toured with, and so kind of touch on my comment sure. at the start of of how you guys were underrated. You know, I'm looking at this list of bands, and you know. So many of them, you know, are still going and have, you know, have blown up, you know, bands like Newfound Glory, Good Charlotte, Simple Plan, you know, yeah. Goldfinger, The Offspring, Story of the Year. How, like, what was it about, you know, your band that, um, you know, that was able to get on, on those tours? Or why is it that um, maybe you didn't get the same kind of exposure as them? Like, when I listen to your records, like, there's a, it, it kind of irritates me because I'm like, this is so good. Like, <laughs> it, you know, it, it just bugs me. You know, so they'll put on something by, you know, whatever one of those bands. I'm like, this isn't even that good, but that's just how music is, right? It's all every, it just yeah. kind of goes with the culture and the flow. And so did it yeah, feel, I, I mean, that's a big question, but kind of that whole era, like kind of what was going on and what were some of the, maybe the factors that went into that? Well, I think, you know, a lot of it was was Chris Hughes, our guitar player, being such a like manager of the band. Even though we had management with with other people over the years after, but the early days, you know, we were self managed, and and he was such uh, so good at it that um, he um, just networked so good with people, and we. You know, it wasn't like he was saying that and then, like, we weren't a very good band. You know, right. it was like we had the, the music and the, like, uh, you know, touring resume building to, like, back it up to go out. So we had that as a foundation. And then having gotten signed to Island in, um, like, beginning of 2001, I want to say, or right at some point in 2001, um, so from there, it really skyrocketed where now it was like, you know, we were getting press exposure and we had a record that was available everywhere when our EP that we put out with Island in 2002 came out. got a lot of love from alternative press so i think just our name was around our reputation kind of preceded us of like these are solid guys it's a solid band you know they're like 
workhorses when it comes to touring and it just you know we we had a great booking agent uh melody at the the agency group who booked they booked so many big bands so some of that came from you know we were going out with other agency group bands but a lot of it was just we would get submitted for package tours and um you know with other agents you know if somebody like uh, i'm just like trying to think of the list there like of like newfound glory was a band that, that these guys the other guys in autopilot off had met even before i was in the band like going down to florida and playing hall shows and stuff like they had met those guys and just like continued to cross paths and newfound glory just got bigger and bigger and bigger and that's how we wound up going out with them um same deal with h2o with them being a new york band we just you know hit it off with toby chris and i really hit it off with him and would go see h2o a lot and it just um chris actually went out and toured with them in 2001 he went out as a guitar tech on warp tour uh with those guys and that that was like a huge then he was networking you know on top of his usual phone game that he had back then he was out in person with people and uh you know the result of that essentially was like you know we had a few different record label offers from indies and a couple majors and that's how we wound up on island was just through that hustle that he had and and i should add that still has because chris still works in the music business today um yeah he's like um yeah he works as a business manager um for a firm and uh works with like a ton of huge huge artists a a lot of different country artists but uh um he uh yeah he's made a very good name for himself and continued that hustle from there uh you know from the old days into that yeah and um so a lot of it was just you know just that networking and and connecting with people and with just the the ability to back it up as to why we didn't crest to that next level i don't know i don't know if we just didn't have that that little extra thing like we were maybe we weren't i don't know goofy enough fun enough like different enough or something that we were a little bit older you know, which seems a little crazy to think, you know, that we were maybe, you know, if everybody was 20, we were 25, you know? Okay. So like there was always that little bit of thing like that, but then, you know, Jimmy world exploded and, and those guys are probably pretty close in age to us, you know? Yeah. Or even so, thinking of, you know, like Snapcase, Goldfinger, I mean, you know, Pennywise, right. Where those guys, lots of those are, guys are older. Too. Those guys are like five years older than we are, you know? So we were in this weird little bit of middle thing between that, you know, Pennywise era and that newfound glory era, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, like, like I said, kind of our, our biggest strong suit was just like touring, you know, we like in 2002, 2003, we were on the road like probably 250 plus days each one of those years. Yeah. Just back to back to back, you know. And did that cause any strain in the band or did you guys get along enough and you were just willing to, to do the work and so just did it? 
I mean, of course we had, you know, there was bits and pieces of, you know, anytime you spend that much time together with somebody in a van, you know, you get on each other's nerves, but overall, no, I mean, we always got along and we're all still really good friends to this day. Yeah, You know, even though we haven't actively been a band since the last time we played a show was the end, the very end of 2004 right was the last time we played so it's you know basically 15 years that we've been inactive but like you know a, a, a few years uh, we all lived close to one another like i had moved one, not long uh, probably a year or two after i joined the band i moved to where they were based out of and lived there for about like 16 years and then just a few years ago i wound up moving back uh, my family and i moved back to the area where i'm originally from okay so i don't see those guys as much but you know it's just like kind of we just pick right up where we left off you know but they're all like 15 20 minutes away from one another and and yeah um so it's 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 wild like chris johnson the singer is married to chris Hughes' sister the guitar player so their fam their families are like you know completely intertwined so it's you know it's kind of you know it was like a family and in that case it actually is family right yeah no, yeah i've heard of that happening with a few bands so that's... yeah yeah did you guys ever get to the point of of doing bus tours we did a couple um we did two uh let's see we did a full warp tour on a bus and then we did like probably two-thirds of a warp tour that we were on uh where we were on a bus then we did another tour with um the band american hi-fi oh yeah there was like it was sponsored by toyota and they paid for the bus so that was the only time we did a club tour that was was on a bus okay um but other than that we you know we had the option a couple times but it was sort of like well do you make money or spend it on comfort yeah and it and there was a little bit of that perspective of like all right, we're going out as the first of three, and maybe the second of three bands is in a van and trailer, or maybe nobody else is in a bus. It's right. kind of, <laughs> it's a little weird, you know. Yeah, it's it's a I, I know like it, it, it's weird to say that, being like oh, we, you know what people thought and everything, but like I, I think that just would have been a little a little awkward thing. As much as touring in a van absolutely sucks. Yeah. But in touring in a, in a in a bus is amazing. Um, we just, you know, it was more like we were able to not work in between tours, and right. you know, yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, to trade the comfort for, you know, it was comfort in a different way. It was like, okay, we're off for a month. Nobody had to work. You know, we were able to to you know live off of being in the band for at least the last probably two years, three years of it. Yeah, yeah, because I think those buses are like a thousand bucks a day to rent, aren't they? Like, uh, yeah. Driver and so I mean, yeah. Of work too, you know, I've heard uh, quite a few bands on talking about, you know, they do, they don't get a bus, but you know, they get that extra thousand bucks a day or whatever, you know. And at yeah. the end of the summer, like they're like, I put a down payment on a house or whatever, you know, like it's right. for the summer. Yeah. But now I've got exactly you know, ten grand to show yeah. for it or whatever. Right. And so. back then, like. I see, like, you know, within the last 10 years, like, see if there's these, I want to say it's called bandwagon. They're, like, right, yeah. converted, like, 
box truck RV type things like something like that had existed. I think that middle ground, like, oh, we could be halfway between it, you know, and maybe pay somebody to drive. But um, it just never, you know, something like that would have been like, make it yourself. So, you know, we just opted to like, you know, when we were signed, like got a brand new van and trailer and, you know, just really like, we're able to do it that way and spent, you know, we, we didn't rough it at that point. We would get, you know, we had the four of us in the band and four, four people on our crew and, um, we would get four hotel rooms and, you know, you slept in a bed every night, but that certainly did not happen in the early days when, you know, we're cramming six people in a hotel room and, you know, and, you know, like our buddies would come on tour with us and stuff like that and sell merch and, um, but, um, you know, we were pretty conservative in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few other tours I'd like to touch on here. So there's two you guys sure. did in Japan, one with Andrew WK and one with the offspring. Is that those were two yeah. separate tours? Yeah, those were two, two different tours. So we, we went over there three different times. The first time we went with some 41 and, um, then the second time, which was, so that was probably in 2002, that we went with some 41 and then maybe six months later we went with Andrew WK and that was really just, he was on Island. We were on Island. We, we had put out our looking up record as Cooter was put out by a label in Japan called big mouth. Okay. Um, they released it as a Japanese or like licensed it and, and released it over there. So we, had like a following in japan before we even went there and uh because of that like it isn't always from what i understand like even with major label records they don't always get like an international release right um so for us they did universal music put out domestically in japan our ep and make a sound because of we had toured or we had that record out there previously and had like a built-in fan base already over there yeah. um well. yeah so we went over with some 41 and then six months later with andrew wk and um and then it was probably about six months after that that we went back with offspring yeah that's what, what was that like you know we talked about touring in a different country like canada i mean canada is fairly similar to the states sure compared to you know going to a, a completely different you know continent and I mean, it was over the top, you know, culture shock going into it right from like getting picked up at the airport and sitting in the front. I happened to be the one that sat in the front seat of a van, except we're on the wrong side of the road and I'm on the you know driver's side without a steering wheel and the guy's driving and, you know, we're just flying down these highways, (laughs) you know, in the middle of the night and, uh, you know, and then just going into a hotel room that's, you know, I'm a pretty big dude and it's like. Uh, you know, for someone half my size, like just right out of the gate and then, you know, getting up in the morning and going out and walking around and checking everything out. I was just like, this is, you know, unbelievable. And then, and then the shows the the, the people, the fans are for anybody. They're so just so like ambitious and so reactive to, to the, to the bands and like singing along and, 
you know, just chanting and pounding their fists to the beat of the songs. And it's just like, it's a totally different world. You know, we rare, rarely could, we were always like an opening band here. We could rarely hold our own as a headlining band. Like in certain places we could, you know, obviously like at home we could. Yeah. And there were a few places around the country that we could and we never tried it in Canada but we probably could have in some places there but we were always kind of like just I don't know just the the predictable or um, reliable opening band you know just a solid band before the main act yeah and um, and you know going back to what you asked before why we just never kind of broke out beyond where we did maybe it's that we just never bit the bullet and went out on our own a lot and, you know, pounded the pavement just on our own off the steam of, of opening for other bands. But, um, th that's one thing that I've like thought of, Oh, maybe that's it. You know, cause all, you know, I would always see, you know, bands of our caliber going out on their own and, uh, and we did it and it, you know, had mixed results, Yeah, but, we just had so many opportunities to go out with other people that it's like, well, we're going to go out with them. And it's like, you're automatically in front of all these people versus we might be in front of people or we might be in front of 20 people, right. which happened plenty. Um, but Japan was like, we were able to headline there. You know, we did, I mean, the way they do shows there and I, I don't know if they still do it this way, but they would always just do opener headliner. And it wasn't it. like, yeah, it was just two bands and, um, and people just went nuts, you know, that some 41 tour it was some, some's first time there. And, um, you know, we were playing places like probably like three to 500 person places and they were packed and people were going nuts. And then we went back with Andrew WK and played like a thousand to 1500 person places and, you know, his music was very different from us, but at the time yeah. it was when, when he had like exploded with the party hard single. Yeah. And So that was just like, you know, people came out for that. And, you know, we had already 
been there just six months before. So, you know, we had that momentum going over there. And then it was probably, you know, with, probably within a year after that, um, that we went back with the offspring and those were playing to like, I mean, a couple, we did a, a handful of the shows were where it was two nights in a row at the same venue. And, um, one of which was, um, in Tokyo at, um, their, basically their version of Madison Square Garden, which is called Budokan. And, um, so I don't even know what the capacity is, but plus or minus 10,000 people. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And playing two nights in a row. And like, we really hadn't played anything that big. We had played a couple like radio festival shows. Um, when our record first came out and we had done of all people we did a one-off show with avril levine in, in yeah, buffalo new yeah, york I was how, how that, <laughs> that was i guess that was just through um through working with greg nori from trouble charger right who he had worked with some 41 and island just kind of wanted to plug us into to what had worked for some for them what had worked you know the producer they used and kind of the even though our bands were different you know to a certain degree um there was enough crossover that they felt like okay this could be our little more serious version of some 41 right um so we you know we met with greg who we didn't know you know they just kind of connected us with him and we just luckily really hit it off and uh I think that that's where that came from with through some 41, the Avril Lavigne, the, just that Canadian Toronto connection between Greg and, and, um, and her and some 41 and, um, just that kind of group, the group of friends that we wound up doing that with, uh, with her in Buffalo where the, where the Buffalo Sabres place. So I think that was over 10,000 people okay. too. I was going to ask if that was after kind of she had exploded already. And yeah, yeah. I can't remember if that was before offspring in, in Japan or if it was after, I feel like it was probably before. Um, but it, it's crazy playing to that many people. It's, it's, it's almost a little sterile because the stage like the barricade's so far away from the stage right it's it's like disconnected yeah you know is that intimidating or you just kind of go out and do your thing as if it was any other show and yeah it's a little bit intimidating you know it's it's far less intimidating when people are right against the stage like there's a, a disconnect of that energy between the band and the crowd when literally it's like a 20-foot gap out to the to the crowd from the stage and the stage is six feet high and you know we're you know we're used to you know you know i mean starting out playing to people where there is no stage and you know they're right there and yeah um so it's just sort of a little different animal that you kind of i guess you know have to just mentally psych yourself out for yeah 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 i guess yeah it's just like anything it's different experience but it's yeah, it definitely adds adds to it, and um, yeah, I just wanted to make a comment just on you know on you guys not being a, a headlining band or whatever. I just say like that's that's not a negative thing by any means. Like when I look at this list of bands you guys played with, it's like 
I would take that any day over just saying I did a headline tour that was okay. You know, that's, yeah, that, that's okay. To, not every band has to or is going to be a headlining band. And sure, that's okay. Yeah, and I think it was just like you know we all those you know that list of bands is like that all happened in like a three year time span. The majority of it, so it was just on a tour, and a lot of times you know we'd be. A tour is going to end in a week and there's the phone call of like okay we're starting this next thing and we're not going home and you know we would just tie some dates together and or be driving from florida to arizona to start another tour yeah so there was almost no time to go out on our own yeah that's true with the amount that we we're going out with other people yeah and I, I would almost say that's you know it's such a good compliment if you know, if all these huge bands are wanting you to support them, like that is a huge compliment in and of itself. Like, headlining is is one thing, but you know, for a band to be like, we want Autopilot off to open our show, like that's that's I would say that's just as big of an accomplishment. Oh, thanks, so, man. I think we were always kind of a a band's band, so to speak. You know, guys from bands liked our band, right? You know, and and not to say that the, the average fan music listener didn't, but. Um, we just never, I mean, we still, we've been inactive for so long. We still have, you know, when I look at Spotify, we have nearly like 50,000 monthly listeners. We get a fair amount of communication through our Facebook page. The ever so occasional, someone will find one of us on Instagram and, and send a, you know, DM through that. And just like, Hey, are you, you know, are you from this band? And, um, so it's like still active in people's minds and, and from countries that we never went to. And, and you know, I, I, it's just out there, you know, we had a lot of stuff in video games during, during like the, the last years of the band, like the major label segment of, of the band and some stuff in some movies and TV shows. And I think it just got a wide reach through just every channel that was out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another uh, comment you made before was, you know, about being more of a serious band. And I, I think that's why bands like you guys were a band's band. Because when I look at, you know, like bands like Good Charlotte and Simple Plan, you know, even Some 41, like all great bands, but they, they kind of get annoying and obnoxious after a while. Like it's like, okay, we get it. It's, you know, whatever their thing. But a band like you guys, yeah. you know, it similar sound. But there was just something that kind of almost seemed more authentic to it. You weren't, you know, doing it to, you know, or it didn't, it didn't come across as you were doing it, you know, to, to become this big band or to be playing arenas or whatever. It's like, you know, you kind of just had more integrity with the music and, and just went out and did your thing. So, like, Yeah, I, I think a big part of it was like Chris Johnson's lyrics were always very, you know, he took – a lot of pride as we all did in his work with like his lyrical content and his lyrical subject matter that wasn't, you know, it wasn't jokey. It wasn't goofy. And that's not to say that off stage and off record that, you know, uh, these guys are some of the funniest guys ever, you know, like, so like there's, no shortage of you know messing around and fart jokes and and everything in between when it comes to autopilot off not musically you know like we're all complete goofballs but um 
but when it came to music, it was just a serious thing. And like, we always just kind of were like, at that time, like sort of towards the end of us being a band, it, or an active band, I should say, because we never really broke up. We always just kind of considered it an indefinite hiatus. And we're just like, we're all still friends. Like, there's no real reason to like cut the cord officially on us. But while we were active, it started to get to be a little bit more of this fashion show with bands a little bit of yeah. makeup. And I mean, not that that hadn't existed prior with, you know, different styles of music, but. But even bands that we were friends with and toured with, it, it was a little more of that element to it. And I think we never had that and we intentionally never had that. It was just like, we wear like black t-shirts and black pants and vans. And, and like, that's just like kind of what we do. It was sort of, I, I, I won't say that was unspoken, but it was a little like, it's, we should, you know, present as unified like the way we look but not like manufactured because that was just kind of where we were at it was just like a jeans and t-shirt sort of thing but it was like what we intentionally did to like not stand out not make ourselves personally stand out and to make the music be more what we're about sort of was maybe the thing that maybe created it why we didn't get bigger as a band because we there was nothing really like super unique about the way we looked as a band yeah um well i think that kind of shows a different generation coming up because i mean for me too like when you know bands like good charlotte came and all the makeup i was just like yeah i'm not into this i don't even really care if the music's good it's just seems odd to me because i just grew up with you know skate punk you know it's just about yeah music the way you looked you know it still played a part in it but it wasn't you know, you weren't on magazine covers because of how you looked or whatever. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, again, good on you guys for just staying true to who you are. And and uh, I just had this funny mental picture of Dexter Holland wearing uh, eyeliner. <laughs> 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 the spiky blonde hair. Just imagine a band like that trying to pull off that yeah. look. Actually, just uh, about a month ago, I got to see The Offspring in Sum 41 for the first time. Oh, wow. Uh, they came uh, within an hour of me. So, that, yeah, it was awesome. Like, both bands I've been listening to, you know, 20 years or more. Nice. Uh, so it was awesome to see them That's live. That's cool. It, it was a little odd just, you know, especially the band like The Offspring. You know, they're kind of, you know, past their prime. They're, you know, a couple of guys are in their mid-50s. They're not really yeah. moving around or anything anymore. So it was kind of like, yeah, it, it was really good. But it's hard not to think like, ah, this just would have been so much better, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, but totally. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Nonetheless, it was, it was a really cool experience. and Yeah, but I've seen show. some Sum 41 videos, you know, just kind of falling down a rabbit hole on YouTube. And, like, I've seen current stuff of them, and I'm like, man, they still can totally hang, you know? Oh, yeah. They're still all really good players, and they still look like Sum 41, you know? They're not, like older guys now and uh it's uh no it's it's cool to see you know like like you said that that list of bands i sent you that we toured with almost all of them are still active like we're probably one of the few you know even like slick shoes is doing stuff again they're they're working on a new record and uh you know and most of those bands have you know mxpx has stayed going strong straight through everything newfound glory has stayed 
going strong through you know all the different eras that have happened over the last 20 years yeah so uh, I, it's I guess, really cool to see i guess again which goes to show i mean some of those bands like uh good charlotte and stuff i mean they're still around and but yeah bands like newfound glory you know they stayed true to their sound. Yeah. You know, shift a little here and there but mm-hmm. i think you know these bands they do more of the makeup or or whatever you want to call these scene bands like they only kind of last for so long because their fan base is typically younger when they grow up they don't really care about that anymore whereas you know, exactly. guys like me that grew up with these these punk bands like it's still what i want to listen to it still influences the way i dress and you know whatever right it it, it eventually yeah. outlasts everything because it's not a fad it's it's just authenticity totally so totally yeah, cool you guys are a part of that and the last tour i wanted to touch on was this uh, project revolution tour so that was with lincoln park corn used yeah. snoop dog yeah that came about we wound up getting you guys headline that tour i'm assuming so. yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah of course yeah the one headline um, tour so... you get <laughs> we um we had aligned ourselves with uh, a manager by the name of Rob McDermott um, that was Lincoln Park's manager um, right right after Make a Sound had come out in 2004 and at the time Lincoln Park was putting together you know kind of their version of Ozfest or the Warp Tour and they were doing amphitheaters but they were having a second stage just outside when people were coming in so it was like a warp tour size stage um outside so with us it was for that you know i mentioned no warning because they're a canadian band they were they were on it and they had done a major label record at that time and i I'm, i'm pretty sure that they were working with the same management company too i'm i'm not positive about that but um but there was a few um bands you know of our size or so that were playing the side stage but on the inside of the amphitheater was Lincoln Park, Corn, Snoop Dogg, The Used, Less Than Jake. So it was um, you know we did probably they were rotating the bands that were on the second stage and we did like I'd say like a two-week stretch of that from what I remember um and it was awesome, you know, it was, it was like playing Warped Tours outside, it was, you know, during the day, but, you know, we were, you know, exposed to a lot of people that would never have seen us otherwise, you know, right. it was just your average, you know, radio rock sort of fan that, that would, uh, you know, it was just like, there's doors open maybe a couple hours before, and the way it was timed, it was, there was gaps in between the main stage bands where people would kind of rotate out into these, you know, beer garden areas and stuff where, where the stage was. And, um, you know, it's sometimes there wasn't a lot of people. Sometimes there was a ton of people. So, um, it was definitely a cool experience, you know? Yeah. The nice thing about those is, you know, you play earlier on, then you you know, you pack up and you just kind of hang for the night, go mosh to Snoop Dogg or whatever. There you go. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, I don't come across many bands like you guys that had such a a varied, uh, you know, array of bands that they toured with or um, fan base. So uh, it's it's really intriguing just the different opportunities you guys had. I had I had no idea that um, you know you guys had toured with so many different bands. So 
Yeah, I figure I would just like point that out because that was like sort of our claim to fame in a way was like, man, these guys have been out with everybody, you know, like for a band like us to go out with Snapcase and Boy Sets Fire, who were bands we listened to growing up. Yes. And um, at that time, the other band on that package was a band Atreyu. Oh, yeah. And it was there. They had just gotten signed to Victory and it was their first tour. And then they became like an enormous band, not that long after that. So, um, I mean, that was that was a, a very cool experience. Um, doing that, like, just you know, and it was at a time when hardcore was a little bit dead. You know, it was before it kind of got a resurgence, like yeah. in the mid mid two thousands, like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Um, it started to kind of jump back up. So it wasn't, it wasn't as awesome as it might've been in 1997 to have played with Snapcase and Boy Sets Fire, you know, from what I remember of going to shows in Syracuse and Buffalo and Rochester, seeing those bands, yeah. you know, you know, when I was younger, but um, it, uh, it was certainly very cool, you know, to get to know those guys and to get to play with them. And they were still musically at the top of their game. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you know uh, how many albums um, make a sound sold? I'm always intrigued by by uh, numbers. I think the the number I remember hearing back then, and I'm sure it was more after that, before kind of the death of CD sales. Right. I think it sold between sixty and seventy thousand records. And was that a success to you guys, or what were your absolutely? to a major label, not so much, you know, I, I, you know, but we were the way we were signed. It was more a kind of developmental deal as a band. And that's why we did an EP out of the gate just to get something out quickly and introduce the band, uh, you know, to the, the mass public. And then with that record rolling out, you know, about later, um, it did well, but, um, at that time, you know, things were starting to change a little bit. CD sales were starting to drop off and um, the, I'm trying to remember it. Right. So this is from my memory, not necessarily fact, but <laughs> at that time, like the kind of the internal workings of the president of Island had changed to a different person that was a little more driven on hip hop and R and B and wasn't really, we saw the writing on the wall that we were probably going to fall by the wayside. And yeah. it, it was kind of the beginning of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with 360 deals where the record labels, the majors were starting to like tap into like a percentage of bands touring money and their merchandise money. Yeah. And um, so we wound up like getting out of our contract before we stopped being a band. So, oh, okay. you know, at that time, we were kind of like a little bit of talks of what, you know, what are we going to do next? And, you know, are we going to go take a step to like a bigger indie or do a different major? Um, and I can't remember specifically how interested anybody was, but like we just decided that like that wasn't going to be the best home for us to move yeah. forward and then ultimately we decided that being a band wasn't like 
the best thing for us not too long after. Was there something that played a part in that, or was it just kind of the time? I think it was really just timing of, like, we had done a headline tour throughout the... I think it was a little bit of anticlimactic of, like, we put out the EP, and we were on this big climb and big tours and everything, and then we recorded the record, and there was a huge lag between the record being... There were, the record was recorded about a year before it came out, Okay. So we gained a lot of momentum and just from my perspective, and I don't know if everybody else would agree, but like thinking back on it, it's like in that year, yeah, we did still go on a huge tours, but people were like, where's your record? Where's your record? You know, right. we know five, we know five songs by you guys, you know, we want more. And it was like, you know, just waiting in that schedule and in, in, um, I think, you know, looking back on it for me, I think like maybe that's where we lost a little steam and um, we sort of plateaued during that time, did a headline tour during that time that didn't go so great. Like turnouts weren't good. It was just, you know, disheartening, you know, to think, oh, we go out with other people. We're playing to like, in some cases, thousands of, we're in front of thousands of people, but, um, you know, when we go on our own in those same cities, we're not getting the like follow through that even half of those or a quarter of those people are coming to see us. Um, you know, some exceptions, we always really did well in Minneapolis. I don't know exactly why, but we just struck a chord with that city and always, we were able to do some headline shows there and it, it always worked out. But, um, it, I personally was the one that came to the table saying like, I don't, we had been off for a while and been home and I had been in a serious relationship for, you know, the whole time really of being almost the whole time I had been in the band as we, most of us had. And I just got like a taste of being home and like was working just sort of a whatever job because we were inactive and, we didn't have a lot of money coming in and uh i was just like you know i'm just happier to be home and to yeah. be working just like in you know store warehouse and, and i was like well maybe that's sort of a sign that this isn't you know where i want to be and you know i just sort of presented it as hey i don't want to do this anymore you know still love you guys and, and i just I don't want to do it, but I'm not saying I need to stop tomorrow. You know, I would uh, gladly, you know, glue it together until somebody else could step in and, you know, kind of show them the ropes and all that. And um, and then it was just that it it was kind of the mentality of, well, if it's not all of us, we're not doing it. And I think everybody had a little bit of um, not we were all like getting close to turning 30 at that time. So it was just sort of like a little bit of like wanting to pursue everything else in life that we weren't able to, um, you know, with being away, you know, three quarters of the year and being home just for a day or two or a week or two at a time. Um, I think at least for me, it just became like, you know, my heart's just not in this anymore. And like, 
how can you go out and rough it and and do it all those shows were always awesome but it's you know people always say it, it's the 23 other hours of the day right. touring that just absolutely yeah. suck yeah. you know i mean you have fun because you're with people you enjoy but you know and that you're you're tight with but I, you know it just became like um the other guys being like yeah you know i just don't want i don't want to do it either and if it's not all of us then it's we should just should not do it and we slept on it for a little while you know once that was out in the open and and then we just decided that that was that and you know we announced it that we were just going on a hiatus you know probably that we had parted ways with island and that we were going to take a break and we wanted to leave the door open because, you know, that's a huge decision to make. And yeah, what's sure. to say that in six months we wouldn't want to have done it again. Yeah. You know, to have that breath of fresh air and then like, Ugh. cause there was never a point of like, you just couldn't take a break. You know, we just had to keep that momentum going, keep it going. And, um, you know, I, I think maybe had we just said, let's just conscientiously take off the next six months let's book something, let's have something to look forward to, you know, let's write some music, let's spend some time at home and, you know, kind of distance ourselves from it just enough to, to really want to go out and do it full blast again. Um, but it just didn't feel like that was something in our position that we were really allowed to do, so to speak. Like, yeah. that was just kind of unheard of to just step back. So for us, you know, we went out on a high note, um, you know, as far as the band went, you know, we had just, the last tour we did was with Story of the Year and My Chemical Romance and Anne Berlin. Wow, that's quite, so, a, quite a final tour. Yeah. But it wasn't known that that was a final tour. It was just, yeah. that happens to be the last time we went on tour. And, um, you know, the, I think the last show that we played was H2O's. 15th anniversary show okay. in New York. Right on. I, I actually, it's probably their 10 year anniversary show. So, yeah, because that would have been, yeah, 10 year anniversary show in New York. And uh, a, we played a couple shows around New York, New Jersey at that time. And, uh, and then just there was never a last show or anything like that. And then, um, so that was the very beginning of 2005. And then, like I said, we all lived near one another. We all were still friends. I mean, we kind of maybe took a little step back because we had spent so much time together, you know, but slowly, like, you know, reunited, like, in hanging out. And then it just sort of, about five or six years later, it was like, I don't know, you know, we were at a party at a mutual friend's house, and it was just like, hey, maybe we should, you guys ever want to get together and play and we did and it was just like kind of picked up right where we left off and we started writing songs and then yeah, i thought i it, saw something online like a number of years ago how you guys are going to be putting out more music or something like that. yeah so we made an attempt to do that and i think we just kind of spoke too soon so to speak about it like yeah. you know it was at a time that like you know, we saw bands around us getting back together, and that wasn't necessarily the motivation, but the way we went about it when we did start playing again is we made a Facebook page, and we made an announcement and posted some videos and pictures, and 
and said, you know, we're, we're working on stuff. And then we were just doing it all ourselves. And Phil, our drummer, had gone to school for audio production, like after the band had ended and, and was working in TV and audio production at that time. And we we're just like, well, let's just do it ourselves. And, you know, with the help of a couple friends and, uh, it just got like, out of our hands a little bit like we bit off more than we could chew by like announcing it and it felt like there was a pressure along with it to do something and we really just wanted to do it just as the core of like this is fun and whatever happens happens but and probably the biggest thing is we just none of us really had time to do it yeah. three out of four of us had really young kids at the time and I owned a business at that time and it just was, it was a little tough to do, you know, to make the time to do it. And it was awesome when we got together, but like it was few and far between that we could schedule all of us to line up. And, uh, it just sort of like fizzled out. And in fact, we like recorded or to some degree, we released three songs, but we recorded five or six songs. So there's okay. a few songs that we just never finished and like, you know, never say never is really kind of, I guess our motto is just like, yeah, if the mood ever strikes, but like, honestly, more times than not, if we get together, it's more to hang out and it's the kids playing and we're drinking beers and it's just, you know, it's more of just a friends family sort of thing that it is. Um, talking about well we should get together and play music you know right. and after that i continued i guess i'm really the only one that's continued to like play music and play in a couple bands just on local levels since then and um everybody you know still plays their instruments at home and whatnot but um you know after that i i got together with some other people and played in a band called for a couple years and um and I've been, since I've moved back to where I grew up, I've been playing with some other people here. And it's just uh, for fun. It's just that, yeah. like, you know, softball league, hockey league sort of thing, but it's playing music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that can be just as fulfilling, too, at this point, right? It's nice Absolutely. to not have that pressure to, yeah. you know, to be pursuing it. You're just doing it because you love it. If you don't want to do it, you just say, I don't want to do it. And, that's it it doesn't affect yeah. a bunch of people in this whole system and whatever so yeah so totally sense, so yeah well we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here i just wanted to uh so i had asked you what your your top three records are and i always just love uh, hearing what uh you know what some of my favorite bands are influenced by and so yeah if you just want to kind of briefly touch on um on each one of those and kind of why why they're in your top three and uh, maybe why they sure. stand out to you. So the first one is Face to Faces, Ignorance is Bliss.
that's one. Yeah. I mean, I've been listening to Face to Face for years, and uh, I went and listened to that one this week after you suggested it, and I don't know if I've ever really listened to that album before. You're you're one of many. It is not a popular record. In fact, when it came out, like people absolutely hated it, and people totally shunned the band to the point that they've admittedly ran away from it and just <laughs> were like, sorry, we just kind of made a, a artsy sort of record of what, what we were into, and we'll go back to doing what we do. Uh, and, you know, they've experimented since, but I think it was just the timing of that record that it's absolutely love face-to-face, and it, it's a real hard thing to not put their self-titled record in that top three because yeah. that was such a big deal and like saw them quite a few times live during that era of the band and then they you know there was a pretty big gap like the self-title i think came out in 96 yeah and it wasn't until 99 that that um that ignorance is bliss came out and it was just at the time i i was listening to uh, in addition to you know punk stuff listening to U2 listening to The Cure and a little more atmospheric stuff and they came out with this record that sort of blended punk rock and that you know yeah. that was sort of this hard rock record and um, just I have literally listened to that record I can't even tell you how many times like it's been out for 20 years I've probably the first 10 years it was out I listened to it every single day yeah, like wow. I just like live and die by that record and you know to the point of annoyance in the van on tour whenever I was driving that was going on and not that everybody didn't really like it but they got a little sick of it um, but yeah that was just one that um, was just like it just fit the time frame, and I think a lot of these records, these three records I mentioned, are a big part of that time frame piece. Of they just happened at a good time in life, and it was when I had joined Cooter, which became Autopilot Off, uh, not too long before that record came out, and we were starting to kind of get away from that you know fast like double time fat records beat and starting to like not slow down but just let the music breathe a little bit more and then that yeah. came out and it, it was like oh you know one of our favorite bands came out with this and this record that's just leaning in that direction and you know it was definitely a, an influence on all of us across the board with with like songwriting after that and just um <clears throat> something about it i don't know there's just a certain magic to that one for me yeah no yeah, that's cool yeah. thanks for sharing that yeah the next sure. one is a big drill car no worse for the wear <laughs> Oh, 
band I had never heard of, so I checked them out, and yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's unique. It's kind of like feels like '90s, like alternative punk kind of stuff. Yeah, I I had a feeling. I was like, you know, I wonder. That's not a band that was super well known, and they they kind of came from that like SST records, Cruise records, Descendants, all camp. Um, from Southern California in the late eighties, early nineties. And that record came out like, I would say like the right after, like the year after I was out of high school it was just like a timing thing of like a beginning of the summer, just a, that vibe summer record. Um, and I always loved descendants and all, and I got exposed to big drill car through snowboarding videos. Okay. And, um, and, uh, you know, love the record they had out before that and, um, or the two records they had out before that. And then, uh, they kind of hadn't put something out maybe like two years. And then this just popped up. Like, you know, at that time things would just pop up out of nowhere. You'd see like an ad and thrasher for something and be like, Oh my God, I had no idea. You know, where now, you know, you know, it's coming, you know, it's coming. Um, and you know, just musically, I just love the, like the melody to it and the, the like descendants feel. And in fact, Bill Stevenson uh, produced all their stuff, you oh, know, wow. so that was some of the, one of the first bands outside of descendants and all that he worked with. So, um, yeah, that just like holds a special place for me. And it's something I just like kind of revisited like over the last six months and like, have been uh, listening to it quite a bit on Spotify you know, over that time. So that was like fresh in my head. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and then the last one is Minus the Bears Infinity Overhead. still around i think right they just stopped touring like a year or two ago they just said you know we kind of we've run our course and we're done but um yeah that was a band like that i got into like in later years you know like post being an autopilot off right um uh, a, a couple guys that i had become friends with that worked for me were you know about 10 years younger than i am and they exposed me to music, you know, in our shop, listening to stuff that, you know, I'd never heard of. And I had heard the band name, you know, just seeing it like in alternative press and whatnot. And, uh, it just, their album 
Mino Celoso like was the first thing I'd heard by them and and um, just that record that Infinity Overhead like is just it's got such a uh, just a good feel to it it's always just stuck out as as a favorite for me and it was it came out like not too long after our son was born so i remember listening to it a lot mm, at that right. time like going going through like you know a big big like huge life change and you know such an exciting and scary time yeah but having this you know kind of at times really mellow record you know it just sort of just fit the bill across mm. the board for me so it was sort of like it's hard to narrow it down to three, but that yeah, was sure. sort of like, you know, thinking about ones from like really like major times in my life, you know, then that, that definitely is one for sure. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love hearing, you know, you kind of always assume like all the punks guy, the punk guy is going to pick, you know, all the classic punk albums, but right. Most of the time, that that's not the way it is. So that's it's always cool yeah. just hearing the different influence. You know, sure. how a record you know stands out because, like you said, if something happens in your life, and so it kind of sticks with that. Even if maybe it's yeah. not you know your absolute favorite album musically, you know, it's not just based on that. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah. But anyways, we should wrap this up. Um, yeah, awesome. I, I just yeah really appreciate taking the time yeah, to Aaron, do this. Thanks and, so uh, much, man. Yeah, I, I just love hearing all these stories and thanks for yeah, the effort you put into it. And yeah, totally. Thank awesome. you for doing the podcast. You know, I've listened to a couple episodes, and uh, you know, I know you got a lot of stuff backed up for some stuff coming up. So that's that's cool to see that it's taken off for you guys. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of started as you know, two guys liking talking about music and. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's so you know as I've been doing this and just realizing you know well I'm not realizing you know I know with social media it's just more accessible now and but it's yeah. just, it makes it so much easier. It's like oh I want to try this. Okay, well you know it takes a bit of work and effort, but really not that much compared to you know what it would have taken 20 years ago to set up an interview with a band or whatever. So oh my god, yeah, totally. But yeah, so it's been awesome. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on, and yeah, I hope uh, yeah some of your fans can. Can check this out and relive the dream and go back and listen to your records and remember those remember those good times for sure man awesome. all right thank thank you very much Aaron. i appreciate it man. I want to change. I want to be Steve. I'm Steve. You're Carl. Kyle! I don't care. I just want to go in there and do this.